Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll take a few minutes and get started. If you want to turn in your Bibles, we'll be back in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Been there for, for quite some time, the book of 1 Corinthians. We will continue our study there. Um, I guess more recently we come off, we're, we're still kind of in the realm of where Paul is dealing with the resurrection because apparently there's a lot of doubt about the resurrection there in the church at Corinth. And we dealt a few weeks back where actually Paul dealt with the resurrection of Christ. And then the following week, we dealt with where Paul talked about the resurrection of the Christians. And then we looked down to verse number 28, and we talked about the kingdom of God. And Paul spent a good bit of time talking about the millennial reign of Christ. But I want to pick up tonight here in verse number 29, where we left off the last time. I was, um, I was thinking he was talking about Hebrews chapter 12 and giving her a text and some chapters and some stuff. I, I tell you. If you ever just want to study, um, the Bible says, If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not. If you want wisdom, it's okay to ask for it, but it's a whole lot better to ask for it and strive for it, study for it, desire it, seek after it, and try to find it. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is a really good book of wisdom. If you're just looking for something to study, if you're just looking for some wisdom, if you're just looking for God to give you some help and teach you stuff, as a matter of fact, if you were to take three books, if you would take here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and if you take the 8th chapter of the book of Romans, and take the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews, you'll find those to be superlative chapters. You'll find that there's not anything else like them. There's a lot of wisdom in those, um, as Paul writes and gives us a lot of stuff. We have a lot of things today. We have a lot of brilliant minds. We have a lot in philosophy, and we have a lot of science, and we have a lot of mathematics, but we don't have anything that can match the wisdom of the Word of God. And th those are three incredible chapters, but here we're going to look, um, continuing verse number 15, chapters like this right here, they, they shine a light into an empty tomb. And that's what Paul is doing here with the church at Corinth as they deal with the resurrection and saying there is no resurrection and all this argument back and forth within the church. But, but this thing shines a light into an empty tomb that expels darkness so that we might look in and see that Jesus Christ is the resurrected Savior. Here in this verse number 29, it, Paul sets out into a pretty extensive passage here this is a pretty long set that he starts off into he goes on for a little bit but in in these next few and we won't see it all tonight but he offers us some challenges um you know life has some challenges amen um he offers us some changes uh, matter of fact lord willing if he don't change your heart we're going to talk about changes come sunday morning um and then paul offers us some choices. But 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse number 29, Else what should they do which are baptized for the dead, if the dead rise not at all? Why are they then, why are they then baptized for the dead? Why stand we in jeopardy every hour? I protest by your rejoicing which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die daily. If after the manner of men I have fought with the beast at Ephesus, what advantage is it me if the dead rise not? Let us eat and drink. For tomorrow we die. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. You need to underline that in your Bible if it's not already. Awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. But some man will say, How are the dead raised up and with what body do they come? Thou fool. 
That which thou sowest is not quickened, except it die. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not, that that body shall be, but that it bear grain. It may chance of wheat or of some other grain, but God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him, and to every seed his own body. Paul is saying kind of the same thing as like Jesus right there. Except the grain of wheat fall to the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. So they're asking the question, what kind of body would it be? He says, man, don't be a fool. Don't be a fool. You see a grain of wheat fall, and you see what kind of life it buds, what kind of life it brings forth. So if you look, and you can, you can be seated. That's all. I won't, I won't get to go back and do all those passages tonight. That was kind of wishful thinking. But um, if you look here, we're going to start at verse number 29, and one of the things that they always give you in Bible college is a class called hermeneutics. And in hermeneutics, verse number 29 would be what would be called an obscure text. It's a text that has maybe multiple meanings, multiple interpretations. People try to break it down a lot. It's certainly a difficult text, but Paul is pointing out the fact that there seems to be some spiritual disorders taking place in the church. Now, I've said before, I'll bump into it again real quick and move on. The reason God put this in the Word, when Paul wrote the letters to these different churches about the problems that the church was dealing with in that day it's the same problem that the church is dealing with today they're not new problems we didn't discover them we didn't come up with them they're not our personal problems they started all the way back right after Jesus Christ went to be with the Lord and sent the Holy Spirit back but we still deal with the problems today but Paul has given us some great wisdom on how to deal with the things that we see so it's obvious that Paul doesn't endorse any of these problems or any of the things that are doing and we can see it in the way that he uses personal pronouns right there he used the word they when he's talking about them that that would be a third person plural and then he takes out and he goes to we which would be a first person plural but then he goes to singular and he uses the word I so what he's saying is I'm aware of these things that they believe but I don't agree with them I protest by your rejoicing which I have in Christ Jesus the Lord so Paul is still arguing the case of the resurrection if there be no resurrection then why bother being baptized for somebody that's already dead a lot of people today would think why would we even need to study that why, why would we even need to bother to look at that i mean we sit here in the confines of the four walls and the comfortable pews and the climate control building of our independent baptist church and say why even discuss it i can tell you why because the mormons do it every day there's one Mormon, he claims he's been baptized over 5,000 times for the benefit of the dead. The Mormons constantly live their life. In today's life, you and I are around them, you work with them, you, and they're not the only ones. I'm just calling them out for the moment because I don't have time to go into all the other religions. I'd rather spend our time on God's Word. But I'm telling you, they spend their time living for the dead. They, they believe that they can get baptized for the dead after they've been gone, and they can change things for the future. Can I just go ahead and make something real plain and simple? salvation is a personal choice you'll choose jesus christ yourself as your personal lord and savior and you'll do it on this side of the grave and if you make the wrong choice and you don't choose jesus christ before you die in this life you will die and go to hell and i don't care if everybody on the planet gets baptized for you it ain't gonna cool hell off one degree you got people living for the dead baptism is an outward expression of an inward change it's not something to do for somebody else, for somebody else's benefit. It's what we do. It is the death, burial, resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is showing that we've trusted him as our personal Lord and Savior. We, we've been through the grave with him, and now we have eternal life because of him. Somebody said amen. But Paul is saying to him here, it's not only a useless practice to be baptized for the dead, 
but you're saying there's no resurrection. So if you're saying there's no resurrection, amen? Paul's second letter to the church at Corinth, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time, but in chapter 11, he describes at length the many things that he went through, many of the, you know, the shipwrecks and all the stuff, and he talks about there. But the reason that Paul is willing to endure these afflictions, the reason that Paul is willing to go through the trials and tribulations and suffer anything that he goes through is because he understands that there are eternal rewards in heaven. You're not going through things without a cause. If God is allowing something, he's either doing something here on this earth or he's storing up some things for you in heaven. But God will reward us even though we don't deserve it. Even though it's only Christ in us that does anything, we have no good out of it, nothing in it. It's just God in us, but yet God rewards us for it. Isn't God a good God? So what would be the point of suffering if death were the end of it, I mean, if it all ends in life, then, then why would we stand so firmly on our faith? If Christianity ends at the grave, why endure afflictions? I mean, if you look here and this, just a few years after the letter, um, after Paul wrote this letter, Nero began to change some things. Nero began to persecute Christians in the ways that had never been known on the earth. To pull them out just because he, he burned their bodies alive on a torch. He, he threw them into a lion's den just to watch for the sport of it. How many of you watched the movie The Apostle Paul? Anybody go see the movie The Apostle Paul? It's like, it's like most other movies. It's not necessarily doctrinally sound. It's not scripturally perfect. But I thought it was a pretty good movie. I thought somebody could go to it and learn some stuff. And, and I know sometimes to make a movie, you, they may have to put some things in order the way they did and the in and out of the prison to learn some things. But I thought it did a pretty good job of teaching some scripture. I thought it was pretty decent. But if you remember in the movie, it was showing when he was sneaking in at night and it would have those poles leaned out over the streets on both sides. And it would have people tied to those poles on a platform. And they'd put that oil and set them on fire and you'd hear them screaming. That was real. They didn't make that up for Hollywood. That wasn't for a movie. That was what they did to Christians. They put them on both sides of the street, put the oil on them, and they lit the city streets at night with the bodies of Christians by setting them on fire and burning them alive. That, that was the persecution. If it all ends at the grave, then why stand so firmly on faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? If it all ends at the grave, then all they had to do was deny Jesus, just worship a pagan God for a couple of minutes and move on and let it be done. I mean, if, if it all ends at the grave, and it make no sense to go through such persecution and be burned alive and tortured and tormented the way that they were. So if you didn't have proof of Christ, and you didn't have proof of Christianity in anything else, you would have enough proof through the persecution of the Christians. It didn't matter what God or what goddess they served then. It didn't matter what false god or what little g god they bowed the knee to. None, none of that stuff mattered. The, the Romans were very open. They didn't mind different gods. As a matter of fact, like the Egyptians, they had a multitude of gods. They didn't mind what gods you said. You could, you could do anything. You could bow down and worship anything. You could break a stick in half, stick it in the ground, and call it the god of your forest and worship it. They didn't care. As long as you didn't say you were a Christian. You could worship anything you wanted, but when I'm a Christian comes out of your mouth, when you were condemned to worship the Lord Jesus Christ, you were sentenced to death. Why would it be? Why would it be that you could worship <coughs> anything else? But I can tell you, it didn't end with the Romans. In the day of the Romans, they killed many, but <coughs> at one time in the Soviet Union, 
88% of all Russian Orthodox churches, the doors were shut, and the leaders of those churches, those unregistered Orthodox churches, was either in prison or executed for their belief. It's estimated that of the 66 million people that were killed between 1917 and 1953, y'all listening, did you get that part? Of the estimated 66 million people that were killed, that's wars and all, between 1917 and 1953, over half of those were Christians murdered for their faith. 1966 to 1976, thousands were driven from their home and executed in China for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. You could worship anything else. You can serve their dragons and their pagan gods and anything else you wanted to, but you couldn't claim to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? What, what would the difference be? What, what would make it so much different? I can tell you what, because the devil only hates that which is real. And he don't mind you worshiping false God and pagan God and stuff that will send you to hell. He don't mind you worshiping stuff and calling yourself worshiping and bowing down to something that is exactly opposite of what God said from the very beginning. Thou shalt have no other gods before me, and thou shalt have no graven images. So the devil's not going to be bothered by that. Until you bow down to the Son of the living God, you're not bothering the devil none. But when you bow down to Christ, the devil knows that that's real. And the devil knows that when you bow down to Christ, that's the one thing that can wash away all your sins and save your soul. And that is the one thing that gives you the resurrected Savior, the resurrected life for all of eternity. So you don't have to go to that old lake of fire with the devil. Let him go by himself. I know we ain't supposed to hate nobody, and I know I deserve hell as much as anybody. But I'm glad the devil's going there. I don't mind telling you. Joker ruffled my feathers on too many occasions. Paul faced death on several occasions at Lystra they stoned him left him for dead thought they'd killed him and and then there in the synagogue the Jews mobbed him and tried to kill him as a matter of fact when he was taken in prison they, they, they tried to get Festus to send him back to Jerusalem he was at Caesarea and they tried to get him to send him back and they had a plan they were going to mob him along the way and and kill him but God can always see the plans of the enemy amen it doesn't matter what you're going through it does matter what you're going through, but it's not the end of the world. God knows what you're going through. God understands what you're going through, just like he understood what Paul was going through, just like he understood the pain, he understood the suffering, he understood the persecution. God knows those things. Can I tell you something? God's still God. And God's powerful. He's a powerful God. Can, can I tell you something? The 41-year-old lady died of cancer. God's still powerful. He's still more powerful than cancer. Those two ladies died in that car wreck. God's still powerful. He's more powerful than car wrecks. People have all kinds of diseases and sickness and heart problems and complications and difficulties. God's still powerful. He just allows things. That doesn't mean he doesn't love us. Paul went through some things. We see it there in his life, but Paul said in Romans 8, 36, as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. If it's not real, then why suffer? If it's not real, why, why go to the problem? The same thing is true in the church at Corinth. If it wasn't real, it's the same thing is true today. If it's not real, why bother to come to church? 
Why, why bother to come here straight from work? Why bother to choke down a hamburger and a french fry just trying to get here on Wednesday night? Why bother to get up early on Sunday morning? Why bother to pray for the sick? Why bother to pray for the lost? Why bother to pray and witness to your dad? What difference does it make if it all ends at the grave? Because it doesn't end at the grave. There's an empty grave to prove it. God is just good. Here in our text, back in verse number 19, Paul made it very simple. He said, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. If this is all there is, count me out. If this is all we got to look forward to and the best is going to get, I just lost all my joy and excitement. But I'm counting on a better place. I, I believe that the Word of God is true and faithful. And there's a better day coming. So if we really believe, if we really believe what we say we believe, if we really believe what we say we believe as a Christian, then why aren't we giving it everything we got? Why are we giving God our leftovers? Why are we giving God part-time? Why are we giving God half stuff? Why are we holding out on God? Why are we holding out on our service? Why are we holding out on our finances? Why are we holding out on our faith? Why aren't we witnessing to those on the street? Why aren't we praying more fervently and more effectively? If we really believe that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, why aren't we effectually fervently praying? with the righteousness of Christ in us. I mean, if we, if we really believe it, if we really believe that it, it doesn't end at the grave, and, and they are wrong and it does go, then, then if we really believe that those who reject Christ and die having never received Christ as a personal Lord and Savior, if we really believe that they're going to hell, and we really believe that it only gets worse from there, because death and hell is cast into the lake of fire. So from hell, it only goes downhill. It can only get worse. If we really believe that, then why aren't we doing all we can to keep our friends and neighbors and family out of hell? Why aren't we sold out to the cause of Christ? Why, why are we bashful about witnessing? Why are we reserved and, and held back about telling people why do we want to act as though we're ashamed? Jesus made it very simple. If you're ashamed of me before men, I'll be ashamed of you before my Father, which is in heaven. If somebody says they don't believe in hell, why don't we look them in the eye and tell them, it don't matter if you believe in it or not, you're going there for that very reason. If we really believe it. I don't understand. We seem to be so nonchalant in our worship. We seem to be so casual in Christianity, so mediocre in our witnessing. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, Paul said, At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray, God, that it be not laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, y'all ready? The Lord stood with me. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. Don't matter if everybody else walks off. The Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear. 
And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion, and the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, since Paul never talks about being thrown into the lion's den, and we never hear about him being thrown into the lion's den, it's believed he's probably delivered from the hands of somebody like Nero, what he's referring to. Matter of fact, even David calls the enemy the lion back in the book of Psalms. So it's believed this repeat. The bottom line is there's some lions in your world. But God will deliver you from them. God will deliver us if we just stand for Christ in all that we do. Ephesians chapter 6, y'all know the verse, verse number 12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Don't get bent out of shape with the people that you're looking in their eyes. That's not your enemy. The, the drug addict on the side of the street the one stoned out of his mind, the one drunk in the gutter, the one cursing you, the one profaning you, the one talking about you behind your back, the one slandering, that's not your enemy. It's the devil in him that's your enemy. It's not them. That's the people we got to love. That's the people that we're supposed to be here to make a difference for. That's the one we're supposed to be telling about Christ. It's not the people out there that are our enemy. It, it is spiritual wickedness in high places. It is the devil in them. It's the same devil that was in us. Of such were some of ye. And none of us in here holy. Christ in us is holy. Without Christ, we're just wicked. Amen? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. What man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of a man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man, but the spirit of God. Verse 12 says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. There's some promises on the other side. There's stuff on the other side of the grave that Jesus tells us about, that the Word of God tells us about. There's laid up a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, he, he's not sending Michael to give me this crown. Gabriel may get to blow a trumpet, but Gabriel's not bringing me this crown. My mom's up there waiting on me, but my mom's not going to bring me this crown. The Lord's going to bring me a crown. The Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but to all them. That love his appearing. Revelation chapter 2 verse 10. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold the devil shall cast some of you into prison that you may be tried. You shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death. And I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear let him hear what the spirit saith unto the churches. And he that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. That's because of the resurrection. Here in our text. Verse number 32, Paul says, If after the matter of men I have after the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it me if the dead rise not? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. That's the philosophy of the world. Eat, drink, be happy. Live and let live. Hey, if it feels good to you, do it. Just just do whatever you think. That's that's the world's philosophy. You know why? Because that's the devil's philosophy. But it's a foolish philosophy. Hey, don't worry about anything. Just, just do whatever feels good. But we know that Jesus has defeated death, hell, and the grave. There's life on the other side. 
And then Paul deals with the question. I'm going to finish up here and we'll start back next week. But he, he talks about how we ought to behave. So if we know for certain that there's going to be a resurrection, and Paul says there in verse 33 and 34, be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. Awake to righteousness and sin not. You note takers got your pen, y'all ready? Some of you take notes, y'all ready? Some things you want to write down. Do you want to know what you believe? Do you want to know how others know what you believe? Do you want to know how the world out there looking at you knows how much you believe what you say you believe? Because belief always determines behavior. If you believe it, they can see it in the way you act. Our attitude tells the truth. We can claim one thing, but how we act, if we really believe that our friends and family are dying on their way to hell, it's obvious that, that we believe it because we're trying to tell everybody we can about Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life, so that nobody has to go to hell. So if we're not living it, that's a pretty sure sign that our belief is small. If we believe that there's going to be a judgment of the saints and that our works are going to be tried by fire, and that which is good works will be like precious jewels, but that which is evil works will be burned up and they'll suffer loss. If we believe that, then why aren't we doing good works? Why aren't we doing things all for the glory of God if we really believe what we say we believe? Paul said, awake to righteousness and sin not. Be careful. Be careful who you hang around. Bad company ruins good morals. Bad company will pull you down. That's one of the things, I had a conversation recently with a new Christian. you got to leave old friends alone. I'm sorry, you just do. you got to forget you know them. you got to tell them to leave you alone. You can't talk to them. They can't be your friend. If you just got saved, you cannot keep walking around with the world. They will pull you back in. They will suck you back like a leech, like a sponge. The world will not let you out. Write them off. Sorry. I'm telling you, until you, if you're a new Christian and you can tell new Christians, until you study the Word and you become strong enough, you, you can't battle with that. You don't have the power or the strength. You don't, you're, you're a novice in it. You, you can't battle. Stay away from the world. Evil communications will corrupt our habits. Seems like this church at Corinth has fallen prey to these kind of things. That's what Paul is talking about. So we see it happen back then. And because of that, they've fallen into this weakened moral lifestyle. Paul warns them that they're being deceived. And he goes on, verse 34, For some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to you, shame. Paul says, shame on you. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. What Paul is referring to is willful ignorance. He says, you know better. You know better and you're doing it anyway. You know what willful ignorance is? People can say they don't believe that we ever put a man on the moon. You took pictures out in the desert somewhere and it was just a propaganda stunt. People can say that they don't believe that, that any man's ever orbited the earth. People can say they don't believe that there's men on a, on a space station right now up there working. People can say they don't believe that we have satellites all around. All they got to do is go stand there and watch and see them all over the place. They can say they don't believe it, but it won't change the facts. That's called willful ignorance. That is denying the truth thereof. 
Willful ignorance is to deny what you know is true. Can I give you another one? You can go right out here and get on one of these roads and get pulled over by them dudes with the blue light that says, do you know how fast you were going? And, of course, you're going to lie and say no when you know you didn't know how fast you were going. And they're going to tell you they're going to write you a speeding ticket. And you're going to say, well, I didn't know that was the speed limit. Can I tell you that's no excuse? You cannot stop at a stop sign right down here. And you say, well, I, I thought rolling stop was good enough. I thought it was enough. And I didn't think, can I tell you that's no excuse? It's written in the laws of the United States of America that ignorance of the law is no excuse in the United States for the laws of this country are well published. And anybody who is in this country, it is their responsibility to know and abide by the law. So ignorance of the law is no excuse. Willful disobedience is no excuse. God's word is not any different. We know the law. Willful disobedience is not any different. We are to uphold the law. To say I don't know is no excuse. Ignorance before God is not going to get it. Well, God, I didn't know. He said, well, I wrote it. Why didn't you know? Did you not read it? Did you not understand it? If you didn't understand it, the Holy Spirit wrote it, and the Holy Spirit lives inside of it. If you're a child of God, and the Holy Spirit will tell you what it said. Did you not spend any time? If we really believe that there's a resurrection, we really believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. We really believe that the blood of Jesus Christ washes away sin. And we really believe that it changes things, and we ought to be living it to the fullness of everything in us. We ought to be a walking testimony a billboard for christ there shouldn't be anything holding us back we can't say oh i'm just scared i'm just bashful or there's just so many people at work that would laugh at me and make fun who cares i would rather god say well done thou good and faithful servant than be worried about what they've got to say about us so if we really believe it we ought to be difference makers we'll pick up next week lord willing Verse number 35, we can take just a few minutes. We've got, we got a couple minutes we can pray before they let the kids out over there. Y'all know the prayer request. Um, like Tim said earlier, he said, my house is a house of prayer. So I want us to come together if you would. Um, you can pray where you're at or you can come to the altar. I know the altar is a pretty popular spot around here. But these people that are sick need your prayers. And if we really believe it, it's no different than the lesson. If we really believe it. If we really believe that God has the power to change things, if we really believe that God has the power to heal things, if we really believe that the grace of God is sufficient to hold people up after they've lost family members, then we come before our, our God in the throne room and we come before Him in prayer and we ask Him to touch the sick. While you're praying, let me give you one. There's some marriages of people in this church that are in trouble. The enemy would love to destroy them. Would you pray for the marriages of this church? There's some homes in this church that are in trouble. There, there's some children that have gone wayward. There's some children out there running with the world. There, there's some prodigals that have run away and, and not come back. There's some that's run from salvation and running from God. And there's some moms and dads on their face before God crying at home, wondering if their children are going to die and go to hell. Can, can you pray for them? Pray for the home. The devil loves to destroy marriages. It's a picture of the church, the bride of Christ, God himself. It's a picture of the devil loves to tear up anything that is of God. 
God said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. For that very reason that God said it, the devil hates it and wants to destroy it. Pray for the marriages. Pray for people's financial situation. I'm pretty sure there's probably not a one of us in this place that either doesn't struggle, isn't struggling, or at least hasn't struggled at some point with with financial situations. And the devil uses that to tear us down and to pull us down and make it look so things are bad. But, But the Word of God says that our Father owns the cattle of a thousand hills. And we know that he not only owns the cattle, but he owns the hill and the earth and the universe and all that there is. So why are we worried? It's just, it's just that worldly. God, give us the strength to believe. If we really believe, if we really believe, it'll change the way we act. While we're praying real, real quick, I don't want to leave tonight or any other night without knowing for sure. Anybody in this place tonight, if you don't know for sure that if you died tonight, you'd go to heaven. You think you just happened to be here tonight. You just showed up. Maybe you're every Wednesday night. I don't know. But if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, according to the authority of the Word of God, you're on your way to hell. Because Jesus said, I am the way, not one of them. I'm the only one. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Are you willing to trust Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior tonight?